It takes work to become a United Methodist pastor. Even licensed local pastors, the lowest rung on the ordination ladder, have to complete licensing school or a Master's of Divinity. This can mean years of education, plus practical training and certification. First, you have to be a certified candidate, which requires that you be an active member of a United Methodist Church for at least a year, consult with your pastor and articulate a call to ministry, answer some historic questions in front of your church's staff parish relations committee, answer more questions in front of your district committee on ministry, pass a background check, submit a physical and mental health evaluation, and be approved by SPRC, DCOM, the district superintendent, and by proxy, the bishop. That's step one. To become a provisional elder, as both of the new ministry team members at Trinity were, you must have an MDiv, which is three years at an accredited and approved school of divinity or seminary, including several Methodist-specific classes on doctrine, polity, and history. You must also submit what's colloquially known as your boom paperwork, between 40 and 70 pages of writing on your understanding of theology, biblical interpretation, the local church, the United Methodist Church, and your personal relationship with God. Candidates also submit a film sermon, along with the printed manuscript, the order of worship, and an anonymous survey of congregational members on what can be improved. Portions of paperwork are approved by your district committee, if you're lucky, and then your full paperwork is sent to the aforementioned Board of Ordained Ministry, or BOOM. You'll be interviewed by the board on your paperwork and any other questions they see fit to ask, and they will either recommend you for commissioning or send you back to the drawing board. The clergy of your annual conference then vote on whether to commission you or not. And if you get commissioned, you still have to be appointed to a church or ministry setting by the bishop's cabinet, which the appointment church also has to sign off on, before you step foot in the pulpit on July 1st. And if you want to plant a church with funding from the conference, well, there's a process for that too. In the case of Pioneers, it's run through new faith communities of the North Carolina Annual Conference. Why this lesson on the ordination process in the United Methodist Church? Because before we tell you this story, you should have an idea of just how many people had the opportunity to say no and chose not to. Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor Presents, Pioneering Durham Part 2, The Jacksons. After finding both a community and a mentor at Trinity UMC, Alice was committed to Trinity's success. She was just absolutely wonderful. Ended up marrying my husband and I. We're, we're very close. She and I had, on like our first couple of meetings, bonded very deeply, very quickly. And so absolutely loved that, joined soon after. So at the time that my husband and I met, I had already been a, a member, a tithing member, was involved um, was active in the music ministry, was working with a young adult group, was trying to teach Sunday school for young adults. So it was really totally, had totally drunk the Kool-Aid, I guess, and was just like all up in it. But it, it just felt like home. The more people that I met, the more excited I was to have found 
an intellectual community that was also like-minded politically. And, and then this is where the shift happened. And this is the nature of the itinerancy in that it's good when it's good and it's awful when it's awful sort of thing. But um, the bishop decided to move that pastor to a church near Wilmington, so near the beach, and bring on a new leadership team to Trinity. Though she had bonded closely with the outgoing pastor, she was cautiously optimistic for the new ministry team appointed to the church, if a little uncertain about how things would proceed. And so that team consisted of a married couple, husband and wife, who had just grad both just graduated from Duke Divinity School. And I got their names, got their pictures, and then immediately started doing all the internet research <laughs> and, and all the digging. To see, you know, what I could find, I was excited that this was a, a couple of young adults because young adults is something that we were missing. Every church, I think, thinks they're missing young adults, but I was keenly aware that there weren't young adults <laughs> around and that, that what we would need as a congregation to grow was young families and young adults to just bring more folks in. So it was uh, Daniel Jackson and Sheree Lopez Jackson. And so I kind of looked into what their experience had been. I was a little bit concerned because when I first started going to Trinity, we had a, a ministry team, right? We had a head pastor and associate pastor. We had a very robust leadership team. And so I was excited to welcome young adults, but a little bit concerned about them being able to meet the needs of a hundred year old congregation that had planted other churches in the heart of downtown Durham. So just having all of those complexities, is, I was a little bit concerned. And so they, they sort of started coming on and we got a little bit more information that was confusing and never really got cleared up about what their particular roles were. So Daniel was the pastor of Trinity. So he was assigned to be our head pastor and Sheree's appointment was from the conference with support from Trinity to building community with several other United Methodist churches and look at a new church plant. In many ways, it, it could have been really good for Trinity because it gave Trinity more education and more experience and more human power in a ministry team than they could have gotten with the state of the size of the congregation and the finances as they were. That's just the reality of a, of a shrinking congregation. So they could live together in Trinity's parsonage. It gave a way for Trinity to get two really well-educated ministers in the door, but without the financial commitment that that usually entails to pay fully for two it was bringing in kind of a network of churches together. That is all to say that there was confusion from the get-go about who does what. <laughs> Where Alice had questions or concerns, though, she did what might come naturally to someone who's been around churches for most of her life. She started connecting. I invested a lot of time very early into taking both of them, the Jacksons, up on meeting with them and talking with them and clarifying sort of who did what, what role was whose, that sort of thing. In many ways in the beginning, it felt like, though the titles were not there, it felt like we had a team of two ministers 
they were preaching with about the same frequency from the pulpit. There was not like a clear Daniel is the pastor. Sheree will come in and support occasionally. They were alternating preaching. Sheree was very involved with outreach, with the website. As the new pastor settled in and the first year of the pandemic continued, Alice increased her church involvement. At that point, I joined the um, streaming team. Um, so we were streaming the service, live streaming, and we had a chat option. So largely what I did was sat in the chat and helped direct people where the refresh button was and how to unmute. But even though we weren't having worship services in person, I was still going to the sanctuary and witnessing the filming of the service and, and that sort of thing. So um, it seemed very much like, like they were both very involved. I will say I didn't love the liturgical style that I saw that was, that was kind of being developed. I was missing a lot of elements of liturgy that I really enjoy, but also it was COVID. And so there's a question of how much of this is leadership, how much of this is that we can only safely have four people in this giant sanctuary, all with masks on, you know, how, how much of this is, is really a choice and how much of this is staying afloat. Then something odd happened. Alice received a Facebook invite from Sheree to a church community that wasn't Trinity. So I received a Facebook invitation to join a page on Facebook. I think that's the way that worked at the time. They keep changing the way those things work. But to, to join a group that was Pioneers. So the, this church was called Pioneers. And so I clicked into it, visited their website, and was immediately more so confused. So so I got this invitation from Sheree, who I knew and, and had been told directly was responsible for a church plant. So that part was not the weird part. The weird part was all of what felt weird to me was all of the branding and the messaging from this church targeted specifically at young adults. And the way that I found out any of the information that I had about this church was through social media, not through any communication coming from the pulpit, not through any newsletter information, not through any committees, nothing. And then the last piece of that that was really unsettling was that there were several videos on the website that had been professionally made that filmed Sheree and Daniel and really featured Daniel, who was assigned to be the minister the head pastor, right, at Trinity, responsible for, for you know, shepherding the flock at Trinity, talking about his vision for, for Durham in this church and using we and I language in a way that it appeared very much to me like Daniel had a, a very large investment, if not ownership, over this new endeavor. My guard went up. So Andrew and I started looking further, looking more into the website. So we found out that they were that part of the funding for Pioneers was coming from the Association of Related Churches. And then Andrew looked into that group and found some very troubling things about their rhetoric, including their lack of support, if not pretty clear opposition to women in the pulpit, which then was confusing. There was a, there were several hush-hush scandals about sexual abuse um, high up in leadership of, of some of those churches. And we were very concerned with their stance on LGBTQ issues. But this church group, this, this affiliation, 
that was financially footing a good bit of the bill had doctrine that I believe was not only toxic, but dangerous. So we started kind of raising questions about that. ARC, the Association of Related Churches, defines itself as a cooperative of independent churches from different denominations, networks, and backgrounds who strategically resource church planters and pastors. On their homepage, a heavily produced video showing scenes of gathering praise and worship plays behind the words, we exist to see a thriving church in every community reaching people with the message of Jesus. For Caleb, a community member, activist, and United Methodist, ARC's Christianese buzzwords were all too familiar. Whenever it comes to anything church, <laughs> that if I don't know them, it's always a, they're a red flag. They are a danger to queer people, period. Prove me otherwise. I have been burned long enough to know that that's basically the way forward. And uh, you may have had similar experiences, right? Things looked a little gaslighty to me. Come in, everybody, you who are lost, you who are new to Durham, come in and I will I will give you a space. Oh, but we're not a church. Come in and be part of our co-working space and then we'll let you know we're a church. I did Campus Crusade for a year when I was young and stupid. And because uh, it was, it looked like the place to be. It was a new expression of faith and, and uh, it was beautiful and they had good music and kind of the cool kids were going there. And I quickly learned, it, no, no, I take it back. I didn't, I was stupid. It took me months to realize that the people who befriended me did not care about me, that the meetings that they were setting up with me once every Tuesday at two o'clock when our schedules made sense in the library was not like hanging out time. It was time for them to tell me what I needed to be believing in a very subversive way. Alice began to reach out to her network at Trinity to see what she could learn. I was very concerned that None of my Trinity contacts knew anything about this Pioneer Church, that the only information I was getting was from social media and Pioneer's website, nothing from the church. And also that it looked very much like Daniel and Sheree had put most, if not all, of their eggs in this Pioneer's basket when I felt like I could see Trinity wasn't being served in the way I thought it should be served, right? So there's no additional hiring, there's no expansion of services, there's no new study happening. It's just, boom, pioneers. And could tell from this these video clips that a lot of time and money had been spent on branding this, this group. But so then what I did next is I reached out to Staff Parish Relations Committee, SPRC. I went to SPRC and asked two key people, one person who was on SPRC when the Jacksons were appointed, and one person who was kind of in charge of SPRC now. So I wrote them both privately. And I said, you know, hey, I, I received this invitation on social media. I've been looking at this website and I'm a little bit concerned about what I'm seeing. And I have a lot of questions about what role specifically the Jacksons are supposed to play and how that fits in to the needs of Trinity. The Staff Parish Relations Committee, SPRC, sometimes called the PPRC or pastor parish in smaller congregations, is like the HR department of the local church. While SPRC meetings and conversations with SPRC members aren't technically closed unless requested, most people expect confidentiality similar to a meeting with HR at work. It stays in the room. 
Unfortunately for Alice, her concerns were shared directly with the senior pastor. Well, the other person who was not currently on SPRC, but had been when the Jacksons were appointed, texted me back and said, I really think you should just call Daniel. I think you should, you know, if you have concerns, if you have questions, just reach out to Daniel and ask him some questions. And that wasn't an answer that I was comfortable with because I felt very much like I had questions about process and procedure and appointment and responsibility, not personal questions. I, I wasn't concerned with feelings uh, yet. <laughs> you know, I wasn't concerned with with trying to, to really figure out motivations. I, I wanted to know where Trinity was being taken care of or not. And maybe I just didn't understand what was supposed to be happening with the church plant. Is Sheree a pastor at Trinity? Is she not? Is she on the team? Is she not? Is she, you know, what is her role? So I reached out to SPRC specifically seeking role clarification for both Daniel and Sheree. The person who suggested that I text or call or speak to Daniel directly himself called Daniel and said, hey, Alice is asking questions. You need to call Alice. In preparation for her meeting with Daniel, Alice attempted to view the Pioneer's content that had already been shared with her. When she did, she discovered that she'd been blocked by Sheree. I logged back on to social media to check out the page and to look back at um, what was being said to clarify also for myself if Daniel was being listed as a pastor or not, that sort of thing. And um, I was not allowed. I was not able to view anything. So I eventually pieced it together by talking to other folks that I had been blocked. So it's not that like the site had gone down. It's not that I had been like removed as a member. I could not search and find evidence of it because I had been blocked from the Pioneers page and I had been blocked as a friend of Sheree's. Because you were asking questions about roles. Yes. Maybe it felt like a personal attack. That was not my intention. And I do truly still, through all this, apologize if that was the case. But I, I really genuinely, honestly was seeking role clarification and it was perceived as hostile. How I was treated following that was with hostility. Meanwhile, outside of Trinity, others were having a similar experience. A friend of mine is a, um, on the pulse of everything. And uh, on Twitter, he saw that uh, one of the little abandoned-ish buildings, there was going to be a new church that was coming in. And uh, he immediately was just like, what, a church coming into this spot? And so he did a little digging and found out that they were probably not the people that would that this community would really identify well with. So so he started a conversation online and just on, I think it was Instagram or Twitter, probably Instagram said, hey, what do you think about gay people? <laughs> and there was uh, the response was something along the lines of, that's a really complicated question. Why don't you sit down with me and have tea and we can talk about it? And he was like, no, it's a very easy question. I just need you. I need to know. And then uh, there was some more back and forth and she ultimately blocked him. Uh, it was with Sheree. Some of my friends decided, hey, let's actually have, let's take her up on the tea. Let's go and uh, have tea and sit down and chat and say, like, this is how I feel about how how you're presenting yourself, the language that you're using online. Um, she entertained some of those. And um, it was, uh, I used the language, it was not fruitful. 
um, it was not a moment of, um, of her being able to step back and say, oh, wow, there is a large portion of the community that is upset by what I've done. Let me take some time and think about this in the right way forward. Back at Trinity, Alice was having the first of several unfruitful conversations of her own with Sheree's husband, Daniel. At that point, I was kind of cornered into the conversation. So my husband and I agreed to talk to, to Daniel directly, and we had a pretty long phone call. And this became one of, of a series of several phone calls where we spoke directly to Daniel. We asked Daniel, a couple of questions too directly on the phone. One of them in particular that that still shocks me is um, we asked him why the video featured him, essentially, you know, the like branding recruitment video for Pioneers. Why was he in it so much? Why was he almost the focus of it? And he said, well, you have to understand that women clergy don't have the respect that they deserve, which at first I'm like, I mean, true. Okay, but where are we going with this? But then he continues to say, therefore, I have to support my wife in this endeavor fully and publicly so that she will be taken seriously and people will see that there's also a man involved. I almost lost. Actually, at that point, I shut down the conversation and I was like, okay, we're, we're not getting anywhere. I'm done with this conversation. It, other things that came up in that conversation were... Andrew and I saying very clearly that we were troubled, that all of the information about Pioneers was coming from Pioneers, from social media. Nothing had been discussed at Trinity. We were aware that many of the other people in the congregation were totally unaware of, had never heard of this group. We're very concerned with how Trinity was being seen to support this group that it was so different in doctrine, that was not, you know, something that we were used to. And also just truly that we hadn't, we felt like we had no idea what was going on from the Trinity perspective and that all of the information that we had was via social media that now I was blocked from. What I was told there was that surely Sheree had not meant to truly block me and that would be remedied. So then later that was true. I was no longer blocked, but not friends with and not able to access. Anyways, we said, you know, we understand you're new. We understand that this is a lot, but things are moving too fast on that end and not fast enough on the Trinity involvement end. Andrew and I felt very strongly that before a social media site was made, Trinity should have been consulted about what this church is, where it's going to be, what its name is, even if you're not asking for feedback on those things, if you're just informing us, there needed to be a flow of information and there needed to be communication with Trinity first. We were very adamant that Trinity needed to be on, on the front and that any other information to the public or to pioneers or ARC or anything else needed to come on the back end. And what Daniel kept saying to us in that conversation is, well, I guess we're just going to have to agree to disagree. I guess we're just going to have to agree to disagree. He said, you have to understand that she has timelines that are being given to her by the United Methodist Conference. She has to hold with these conference. She has deadlines. She needs to get things in place. She needs to get business plans. She needs to do this. And so we have to move on things. And I said, no, that's inexcusable. Trinity should have been notified and included from the beginning. 
this is not a Trinity plant. What is this? This is not related to Trinity. This doesn't look like Trinity sort of thing. And that very much became the conversation where I knew that we would never, we weren't ever going to make ground towards each other. Unfortunately, it just gets hairier and worse from there. Next week on Pioneering Durham, we'll analyze what we've learned so far about Pioneers and its founders and speculate about where things went wrong. After that, we'll turn toward the community and its response to this new church in their midst. So I sent this email. He asked if he could call and he called me that night and he was like driving home or something. I love it. I love it when they can't give you the time of day. Journey with me. How does she go to them and then get their money if not having some male companion actually sign? Michael Caine says of the Joker that sometimes people become so desperate that they turn to things that they don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. That is what mainline churches and Methodism have been doing since the 90s when it comes to evangelical and fundamentalist stuff. We're seeing that that has been more destabilizing to Methodism than, you know, marrying two two men could ever be. Right. (laughs) We hope you'll join us. Pioneering Durham is produced by What the Hell is a Pastor. You can support our work on Patreon at patreon.com slash W-T-H-I-A-P.